Welcome to Rework, a podcast by 37 Signals about the better way to work and run your business. I'm your host, Kimberly Rhodes, and I'm joined by the co-founders of 37 Signals, Jason Fried and David Heinemeyer Hansen. It is all kinds of celebration time around here because Basecamp just celebrated 20 years and 37 Signals is about to celebrate 25 years. And I understand there's some celebration around the Rework book as well. So this is perfect timing for us to talk about the chapter of the book called The Myth of the Overnight Sensation. It obviously does not happen overnight. Tell me what's the big rework news, you guys. We just crossed, what, about a million copies sold worldwide. Uh, is it, That's digital, print, everything, yeah? I don't even know how it's all added up. That's everything. 1,556,000 or something. It's the first official update we got that crossed the million mark. Yeah. And like, I don't think anyone really knows the actual amount. I feel like there's no way to really know because not every bookstore reports and everything, but to to have at least a million plus reported is is wonderful and really exciting. I don't think we ever thought we'd get anywhere close to this. Uh, we didn't write it for that reason. And uh, as the first, you know, major, I, well, we actually did publish a book years before called Defensive Design for the Web, which was with a traditional publisher. But this is the first book we really said, like, let's r- work with a traditional publisher, write a business book with a with a, a broad audience or to a broad audience. And uh, and it happened. It took a long time. Um, but it sells like crazy still. And it's been translated into, I don't know, over 20 languages now, I'm guessing, something like that. And we still get emails constantly, especially from India right now. It seems to be very big in India. Um, people writing us, I get close to 10 a week, at least, uh, of emails from people saying, hey, just read the book for the first time. This is great. Where's it been my whole life? That whole thing. So it's it's great that it still uh, has an impact and is, is still making an impact in people's lives. And and we're really proud of the work, too. It's 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 aged very, very well. I think that aging is... Unlike my chin, fact- it's all gray now. But, yeah. <laughs> Mine, too. There's some yeah, gray uh, There you go. Hairs there. I'm a few years ahead of you, so you get used to it. Yeah, I think that what's so interesting about the book is that it's timeless because it was timeless when it was published. It was not written in the six months leading up to the publication. In fact, the majority of the ideas, the majority of essays, they were extracted from either blog posts that Jason and I had written or points that we had made in presentations over a course of maybe at least seven years. Certainly since the publication or the release of the original Basecamp, which just celebrated 20 years on March or February 5th, 2004 was when we first released that. And quite quickly thereafter, I'm trying to put the whole um, timeline in order as I'm writing up the celebration post for Rework. We started doing these building a Basecamp workshops or seminars. We'd invite, I think it was 40 people. It was $1,000 for a one-day, super-packed, eight hours deep dive with Jason, me, and Ryan. Um, I think Matt perhaps uh, helped with a few, too. Where we would really go into everything that we learned building Basecamp, which was so funny in part because we had just released Basecamp. But also, we had been in the industry already at that point for 10 years. I started working with the web in 95, Jason, probably around the same time for you. So when we say it's not an overnight success, it's sort of like two layers of not an overnight success. First of all, to even release Basecamp, we've been working in the industry for 10 years. Then to release Rework, we'd been working with Basecamp at that point for six or seven years and writing about it. And now it took 14 
years. Wait, is that right? Yeah, 14 years for a rework to sell a million copies. You can trace all of that back. And I mean, you can count to that's 30 years. That is very much the opposite of the overnight success. Yeah. You know, one thing I was going to add too is even though this is a book, I, I think we've always kind of thought of it as a product and also just like our other products. It's just, it's, it's a, it's a collection of ideas. It's an approach. It's a, it's a lens to look at the world with or through, which is similar to, to what Basecamp is in a sense. It's, it's a lens. It's a way to interact with your coworkers and to, and to work with clients and to put projects together. Even though it's on pages and on paper instead of on the screen, it's, I think we think of these things as products. And I think it helps to approach writing a book that way. The book industry historically has always been like, you write a book just for exposure um, you're never going to make any money on it. Uh, it's kind of a, you know, just a, it's a vanity thing, frankly. It's a, it's a way to like get into the conference speaking circuit. And I think that's unfortunate. I think that's underselling what, what books can be. I think if you think about them as a product and go, how much more time are we going to put into this? And can we make some money off this? And what can this really do for people? You're going to end up making something better, um, versus just like this thing you're going to put out there and then forget about, which is what books, people do a book tour and they kind of move on. Um, I, I love seeing that these things have a long life, actually. And, uh, and just like software can have a long life, too. It's just a nice collection of, um, of, of, of thoughts that can impact people just as a feature in a product can. And I think if you take that product building metaphor even further, it really applies to this specific book in terms of its polish, in terms of shipping half, not half-assed. That's one of the essays in the book. And it also applies to the book itself. The original manuscript for rework was 50,000 words. The manuscript we shipped was 25,000 words. The publisher flipped out when we turned in the final manuscript because it had gone. We'd been working through it. They'd been reading it. They'd been reading it. And I think the second to last version was 48,000 words. And then the last version, we go like, all right, we're done. It was 25,000. And then went like, What? You just cut the book in half. We can't sell this. We can't sell a business book at full price, which, by the way, it has to be because we've given you half a million dollars in an advance. We really twisted their arm on that one. So we extracted half a million dollars as an advance to make sure that they took this seriously, that we were going to publish this book. And we didn't want the publisher just to like five minutes after go like, all right, bye, have fun. We wanted them to have a stake in it. We wanted them to have skin in the game. So there was that. And then we turn in this half book and they freak out and go like, you can't do this. I remember um, our, our editor going like, you, I'm sorry, guys, you, you can't do this. You, you cannot sell 25,000 words. So we went like, well, that's the book. I think at one point it got a little testy as in like, people were starting to talk about, is this in the contract? What have you actually signed? And we arrived at a really wonderful compromise, which is the compromise that I have used several times in my career as a student, which is when you have a page count, you've got a hit, you just pat the shit out of it. Not in terms of its content. We did not budge on a single word. We did not put in one line of filler anywhere. What we did was we increased the font size. We bumped up the line spacing. We shrunk the margins. And then we added a picture for every single one of the 87 essays in there. And that basically ballooned the book back up. Now it looked like a normal business book again. 
And that was important for the publisher. Maybe it was also important for the customer. But what was such a nice revelation, I think, for a lot of people is they would pick this book up. It would look like a normal business book. And then they would start reading and they would realize this is not a normal business book in any sense of whatever normal is. Um, we wrote this book in part as a protest, or at least I did my contributions as a protest to the kind of business books that I was just sick of reading. The kind of business books that would take three good blog posts, and then they would just stretch them, stretch them out to fit 300 pages, right? And you're like, there's just not enough here. These three ideas should have been covered in like 10 pages, not 300. And all these anecdotes and all this other bullshit you're loading the book up with is just wasting my time. So we wrote a book that had 87 essays in it. Some of them are so succinct. Jason, I just went back to look at ASAP as Poison, which is one of my favorite essays less it's than a really page. stood the yeah. not even less than a page it's four paragraphs right it's literally four paragraphs. it is so small that i can now quote it in the celebratory post i'm about to post on hey world and it doesn't look out of place it just looks like it's a quote out of something no no that's the whole essay and the entire book was written with that maniacal focus on do you know what no jargon no filler no bullshit this is just going to be the stuff and it's going to be the very best stuff that we have because the editing process really took years. I mean, if you look at everything that Jason and I had written on Signal versus Noise, the main place we were publishing at the time, there were hundreds of essays, maybe even thousands if you can't add it up. 87 made it into the book and that was after being pared down and it ended up creating this kind of timeless product. Um, I just saw someone celebrate the first iPod going, this was the perfect iPod, the tactility of the wheel, all the ingredients. You can look at that object today and go, do you know what? It's 20 years old, but I'd buy it. Like I'd buy it right now. If that was the thing that was, it just has that quality to it. And a lot of really nice, timeless objects do. And I think that's why this book is still selling. We treated it like a product. We cut it down. We honed it. We removed until there was nothing left to remove. And what was left? really could stand the test of time. And I think why people resonate with it is because it's easy to read. Like anytime people write back, I feel like they're like, it's so easy to read and relatable. It's not jargon, as you guys are saying. Yeah, you can read the whole book in like three hours, basically. Um, and I think credit is due to a fellow named Rick Horgan. Rick was our editor for the book when we wrote this book. And um, he really believed in us. And I remember when we handed over that really short transcript, besides like the the shock and awe of it, he really goes, you know what, L let me read this. You know, he wasn't, he was like shaken in a sense because the book industry, it's funny, like it's it's about like how thick is the book? I mean, it's not, it is about how good is it, but really it's about how thick is it? Because you got to work back from that. They're going to charge $24.99 for the book retail or whatever. It's got to be on a shelf. People don't pick up, this is back, not pre-Amazon, but bookstores were a bigger deal back then. People would pick it up off the shelf and like, is there any heft here? Is it thick enough that you can even fit the words rework on the spine? All the things had to do with thickness. But he did he did take take a pause and read it and actually told us this is a better book. It is better. He was surprised. He's like, but this is better. And it's really, really good. And then we worked through the compromise that David talked about, about the padding and the font size and the, and the, and the, and the graphics, which were great because we knew this guy named Mike, who uh, was a friend of ours, lived in, in Milwaukee, he was an illustrator. And uh, we're like, hey, can you can you do a, a you know an essay or a picture per essay? And then we used him on uh, remote as well. 
which was fun. And uh, that kind of kicked off his career too, in a sense, because I mean, he was a talented artist and designer, but that gave him a lot of exposure. So it's always fun to be able to expose someone that way too. So there's a lot of good things that came from, from the constraints of like, this book's too short. Now what? Do you know what's interesting though? The Japanese version of Rework is tiny. I should have picked it up so I could show it. It is literally a quarter I may have a copy. of go the ahead. dimensions. Go and it is just so slim. And I thought, do you know what? What a beautiful illustration of cultural differences. That the Japanese can go, we can sell this book being this tiny tome that actually fits the content. We don't have to wrap this pompous wrapping around it, if you will. I love the rework book. I like the heft of it. I totally, there it is. This is, I think the, cre- gosh, I'm embarrassed. I don't know which version this is. This is also remote. Oh, that's remote? Gotcha. Yeah, I shall hold it up to a real book. But they did the same thing. They did the same thing with uh, with rework. And it was just such a beautiful <laughs> illustration of, do you know what? It's not uniform that these expectations exist. That like a book has to be exactly 300 pages and it has to have this size and so forth. Um, but it was in the U.S. And I think it kind of created a Trojan horse, right? People would pick this book up and they would go, they would expect it to be a normal business book. They would expect it to have three ideas stretched out over 300 pages. And they found exactly the opposite in like an order of magnitude, the opposite direction. And I think that level of um, underselling or underpromising overselling really worked in its favor, really created a lot of goodwill, and I think made the book so viral, if you'll excuse the term. I hate that term, right? But so much of Rework's spread, continued spread, selling, what was it, the latest one we got like in the US in the last few months, it sold 10,000 copies or something crazy for a book that's 14 years old and doesn't have a huge animating campaign behind it, comes from the fact that people are so smitten by that under-promise, over-deliver thing that they are going, you got to read this. I got an email or tweet from someone the other day who said like, Oh, I bought 10 of these, 10 of these to give out to people. And like, you have to read this. And I think it is a product in that sense, too. It's a product of persuasion. Our most um, ardent fans of it, we're telling them maybe a few new things, but we're also telling them a lot of things they already knew and were afraid to express. We're giving them permission to go like, yeah, ASAP is poison. I find it so dumb, uh, annoying when we're constantly talking about everything is a whatever it is, whatever essay really speaks to you. There's usually when Jason and I get a letter from a reader, there's usually at least one of those essays like, this is what I thought, but I, I just either I couldn't articulate it or I thought you weren't supposed to. You guys did that. Now I'm going to use this as like a hammer to make that argument to others in my life, perhaps particularly my boss or my colleagues or whoever else it is I, I want to persuade. You know, the thing that's interesting too is like Seth Godin has, you know, been a long time author and his books are always short and compact. So it's, it's totally doable. It's just that, you know, when you're stuck in an industry that is pretty old, <laughs> the book industry is quite old, there's all sorts of pressures on you that, you know, it's not like, it's not like an editor can change the way the publishing process works. They're inserted into the process, but there's contracts and printing size and paper size, like all these things that you don't really have a lot of control over. You can, I suppose, if you go into it, but we went into it wide eyed and we had no idea like what we we're going to do. Um, but, uh, but I guess you can, I guess Seth must've, you know, 
set up a deal with his publisher. I don't even know who, who publishes his books. I can't remember now. Is it Penguin or something? Saying like, I'm just going to write books this way. If you want them, great. If not, I'll go somewhere else. And like, that might be a good way to, to approach this. I don't know. One of the small victories on that level that we did get was the book starts right away. Yes. We don't have 10 pages of filler and index. I think even the table of content. Copyright pages at the back. The copyright page is at the back. And that was one of the things when we even uh, proposed that, they were like, oh, I don't even know if that's possible. I've never heard that suggestion before that you could move the copyright page to the the back. But the book starts right away because, again, we wanted to treat it like a product. And a product needs or should have attention paid to its packaging. And not just go like, oh, this is the standard box size. We should just ship everything in the standard box. No, no. Design a nice box. Set the tone. Set the premise for what you're going to talk about. And I think um, there's just a, there's a bunch of little anecdotes like that that went into the whole production of it that I'd like to believe contributed to the fact that this book uh, has turned into a classic. But even if it didn't, we, we did it because we thought it was fun. And that's yes. enough, too. <laughs> yes. Okay, let me ask you this, because I know so many people have on their bucket list, I'm going to write a book, but you guys actually did it and did it several times. What do you think was like that deciding factor of like, no, let's really do it and not just talk about it? Was there a moment or was it just because you were writing already? Well, I think, you know, to be honest, I think the idea of writing a book is a letdown for most people. It's a shit ton of work. And um, most books don't don't sell at all. Most don't get published and then they don't sell. We'd already written this book, as David mentioned. We wrote this book over the previous, I don't know, 10 years, wherever the heck it actually was, with, with all these blog posts. So for us, it was a matter of aggregation and then refinement and like finding a unified voice because David and I have different writing styles. And so we had Matt Linderman, who worked for us, who really melded the two, I think, really successfully um, to try to find a u- unified singular voice. But we'd already written the book. So it was kind of frustrating that we had all these ideas that were scattered everywhere. So for us, it was more of like a, a way to pull it all together. And I mean, at some point, you're like, this will be taken more seriously. Like I could send someone 88 links and they're not going to send that to their boss and be like, hey, boss, read these 88 blog posts from some rando on the internet versus like, here's a book that makes a noise when I drop it on your desk. It's a hardcover. You know what these are. Uh, and and you know, there's there's some authority that goes that goes into a, a printed book with heft. But uh, I don't know. I don't remember the exact question now that, that you asked, Kimberly. But like, I, I think I think writing a book and yeah, it's people's bucket list. I think writing, if you just want to write, just write. Like I, I, this idea of like writing a book, I, I think it's held up too much. It's put on a pedestal. It's not really the interesting part. And frankly, you can probably reach a lot more. You probably will reach a lot more people if you write online than if you write a book, unless you happen to really hit it just right. Because the, the industry, first of all, the other thing to know is that like publishers don't really help you. You think you're going to write this book, you're going to put this book out there, publisher is going to give you a tiny advance. We happen to get a big advance because we had sold a ton of a book that we wrote before called Getting Real, which we self-published as a PDF. So we had, we already had a track record. Most people don't. When they write a book, they get a very small advance. The publisher doesn't really care very much. And they also, even if they get a big advance, they don't do a whole lot. They didn't really promote the book for us that much. We had to spend our own money making our own videos, talking it up, the whole thing. They get it in bookstores. They get deal with the distribution. Although these days, most business books especially are sold on Amazon and like, what, 95% of them of our sales are on Amazon still, something like that. So I would just say, forget the like the book part and just write. 
one one thing at a time, one day at a time, one one essay at a time, one essay a week, whatever it is. And then maybe in a year or two or three, you have like a book's worth of writing and then you can put it together. So I think it's an easier way to approach it. It kind of reminds me like how food bloggers will put together a cookbook after right. having blogged all these recipes for years. Then it's like, yeah. and now I'm going to spin this off into an actual product. Yeah. I think that's the best approach for most people. And I think that's also why Rework worked because it was a compilation of the greatest hits. We already knew these ideas were bangers. We'd been publishing on the internet and we knew a bunch of ideas that we'd put out there. Meh, do you know what? People don't care. A handful of ideas, woo, shoof, to the moon. It was the moon ideas we put into the book. So it was sort of a way of, again, aggregating. If you could do a, an album, a music album in reverse order, you'd like, oh, I've put out a hundred songs and 10 of them turned into hits. I'm just going to publish the album with the 10 hits. Um, and I think that way of using the book as almost like a wider distribution platform. The the other metaphor I like to use is uh, stand-up comedy. So if you're putting together a Netflix special, that takes a lot of comics. It takes them a lifetime to do that because they have to come up with so much material, test so much material in small clubs, small venues, find out what gets the laughs, and it just compounds over time and then you start with your your hot five minutes, and then maybe you have 15 minutes. And then if you're really great, you will accumulate 60 minutes worth of A material. Plenty of comments never get to 60 minutes of A material. But that slow aggregation actually goes to, to the essays that we talked about, the overnight success, um, the overnight accumulation, the overnight inspiration of just grandeur is such a misnomer for almost anything that's ever been created, whether it is a product or a book or a stand-up show or an album. Very rarely do you get lightning in a bottle in the sense that like, oh yeah, I just like, it just all came to me on the spot, in the moment. I think maybe we referenced this, but um, I think it's in rework, this uh, notion about the Beatles, how long the Beatles spent playing in Hamburg in these small little bars before they had enough practice, enough material, enough whatever to take it on to, to, to the next step. This is one of the reasons why I've been enjoying writing for Hey World so much, because it has lowered the bar for when I will write. I write way more now than I've ever done. Sometimes I write an essay a day and I can do that because I don't have to expect, oh, this got to be, this got to be a banger. And what I found is I have a really poor sense of gauging whether something is interesting or not. Like I'll put a ton of time and effort into some essay and like crickets, nothing happened. I'll put together, I think perhaps the best example of this was the cloud exit post. I was just like, oh yeah, we talked about that at the meeting. I should just like write about it. like, oh, we're doing cloud exit. I put it down, takes 10 minutes, millions of millions and millions of views of that one, let me just share it. It's really hard to gauge up front what works, what doesn't, what will get a laugh, what won't, what will be a hit, what won't. If we could do that, do you know what? AI would already have taken over everything because you could just like, oh, here, make a hit. Make a New York Times bestseller book. Like, eh, not that easy, right? But in retrospect, you can sort of kind of do it. You can do these compilations. You can take your best material that you've already proven, and then you can encapsulate that. And I think to me, what the book gives us is this staying power. 
If those 87 ASAs were just still permalinks in the internet, still be great. I love the permalink. I refer back to the archives of signal versus noise all the time. But as Jason says, it just doesn't have the gravitas of a book. There's a reason why books have stood literally the test of times, why some of my favorite books are 2,000 years old, 2,500 years old. It's actually sort of a service to humanity, the expansion of knowledge, the accumulation of our culture, that you could think, yeah, you know what? My book is probably not going to be around in 2,000 years. But it could. Like, maybe. Like, is the permalink going to be around in 2,000 years? No chance. No chance. Some chance, like maybe a spec out of a galaxy's chance of rework still being around 2,000 years. But that possibility alone is just animating. Okay, last question before we wrap up, and I might be putting you guys on the spot. But you said that rework was written 14 years ago. Do you guys have any plans of a next book? Yeah, we've been discussing uh, potentially starting another book this year. Um, We haven't really gotten anywhere. I mean, we have some ideas, some thoughts, some general ideas for essays or categories or things we might write. It'd probably be very much about like how we run the business today, uh, like this sort of either minimalist management style or, uh, you know, running a company, you know, through intuition and by your gut versus by data. And maybe it's some combination of those things. Maybe those are the same things. Uh, we don't really know, but this, this general topic I think is interesting, especially in this day and age where everyone's trying to measure everything and try to be certain about everything. And, um, you know, follow very specific procedures about everything and think that there's, you know, some pot of gold on the other side of that. And I think the truth is like, nobody really knows anything. You just kind of make it up as you go. Even the most seasoned veterans make it up as they go. You've got a hunch about what might work, what might not, a directional idea about what you think is going to happen, but just admit that you just don't really know. And that's totally fine. And I think in the same way that that rework gave people sort of permission to realize that all this business process that they've been used to is unnecessary and in fact a hindrance and in the way. I think I hope that if we do do this book, it'll be a similar thing where people are like, you know what? I every time I trust my gut, I tend to be okay actually, but I was told I shouldn't, or I'm not allowed to, or I never felt quote professional by just trusting my gut or going with an intuition or giving something a shot or making a quick decision. I like these books that give people permission to do what they already knew they were doing, but somehow felt was wrong. And so I think this could be one of those if we end up putting it together. Okay. Well, you heard it here first. Can't wait to hear about that new chapter in our our 37 Signals lives. (laughs) Thanks for joining us. Rework is a production of 37 Signals. You can find show notes and transcripts on our website at 37signals.com slash podcast. Full video episodes are on YouTube and Twitter. And if you have a question for Jason or David about a better way to work and run your business, leave us a voicemail at 708-628-7850. You can also text that number or send us an email to rework at 37signals.com. 